Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Since I wasn't here last Sunday for some reason, <laughs> I want to officially welcome Jeff Sheffield in as our interim music director, our worship person. He kind of tickles those ivories on that keyboard, doesn't he? I'm telling you. We're still trying to keep up with that tempo, Jeff. And I also want to welcome Chuck and Carol Finnig, who are missionaries from Wycliffe Translators here with us today. And we're glad to have you folks here, each and every one of you. We're in the Sermon on the Mount, and this is our second in the series. This is in the Beatitudes, the second of the Beatitudes. Chapter 5 of Matthew, verse 4. Would you stand with me in honor? I know. You're getting your exercise. We're trying to keep you awake. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you. We thank you so much for this time that you've given us, for this blessing that's ours in Christ Jesus. Lord God, would you please help us to keep our ears open and attuned to what it is that you have for us today. Father, allow our soil to be receptive to your seed of the gospel. Lord, that we might allow it to be, bear fruit in our lives to be obedient to whatever it is that you have for us today. And thank you. Thank you. For it's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Blessed be the mourners. You know, let me take you back to the beginning of these Beatitudes in the first part of the chapter. The Bible says, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Two things I want to remind you. He sat down, which is the posture of a teacher teaching his students, and he opened his mouth, which is an indication that something profound was about to be said. Understand that he was teaching his disciples, not just then, but you and me today. This is, these Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount is not just reserved for some elite Christian somewhere out there. It's our marching orders. It's what is the basic expectations and requirements for you and me together in our walk with the Lord. He starts out with blessed are the poor in spirit. That became the very foundation for the entire Sermon on the Mount. Those who rely not on themselves, but on Jesus Christ. And as we rely on Jesus Christ, we understand ours is the kingdom of heaven. But then that next beatitude, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. You know, we've had quite a bit of uh, mourning in our church of late with the passing of some of our dear church members. And yet, we understand that mourning is a part of our process on planet Earth. You see, the world does not like mourning. The world doesn't put up with it too much. You'll see some high dignitaries from time to time that will be mourned, but for the most part, the world just overlooks it. 
we do not like mourning. Mourning, the word mourn in the Greek uh, is the strongest word for mourning. It's the same word that's used as a passionate lament for the dead. It is a sorrow that cannot be hidden. But I want to take it to where I think Jesus is intending for it because in the first beatitude, it had a spiritual significance. And in all of these beatitudes, there is a spiritual understanding and significance to each and every one of them. This is no different. This morning is one of a spiritual lament, a spiritual morning. And it, it is because of the sin of the world. Psalms 119, 136 said, Streams of tears flow from my eyes, for your law is not obeyed. Ezekiel 9, 4 says, Those who grieve and lament over all the detestable things that are done in Jerusalem. Philippians 3.18, the Apostle Paul said, For as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. And in Luke 19, verses 41 through 42, as Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, the Bible records that Jesus himself saw the city. He wept over it and said, If you... Even you had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. You know, I think this morning for us believers, we understand that we're 180 degrees out of phase with the world. We understand the lament that is, is meant in this beatitude, the sorrow that we have over the sin of the world. You can't turn on the TV, listen to a radio station, read the newspaper, see the news pop up on your internet without mourning about the things that are going on. The, the wars, the rumors of wars, nation uh, after nation uh, in conflict with one another, communities in conflict with one another people within the communities at conflict with one another, families in turmoil. And this is what this morning, I think, is all about. This kind of morning that says, I, as a believer in Jesus Christ, I have this deep empathy and mourning for those who are without the Lord, those who are experienced the results of the sin, either of themselves or of somebody else, inflicting it upon them. We see our politicians go into a back room and we mourn over their policies that are being enacted. We mourn over the things of this world that are in contrast and contradiction to the kingdom of God. That's our mourning. That's who we are. We see it in, through different eyesights. This, this type of mourning is what the psalmist said. Streams of tears flow from my eyes for your law is not obeyed. How much greater our world would be, our society would be, people would be in peace if they simply followed the laws of God. And yet there's turmoil because they don't. And we mourn over that kind of thing. And blessed are those who mourn. So we understand that this mourning that we have, the world doesn't understand. 
but we see it. We know what's happening in this world. And then there's that sin of ourselves. We, we mourn over our own sin. We mourn over the things that we do that we don't want to do. When you read the seventh chapter of Romans, it's like a spiritual roller coaster that the Apostle Paul is on. A number of people I've taken on that roller coaster. I open the Bible, does this to a new believer? A lot of times they've never even read the Bible. A lot of times they, they, they certainly don't understand the King James Version. They may have a good news or whatever the case might be sitting around the house. Somebody gave them once upon a time. I'll take that and open it up to chapter 7 of Romans. And I'll ask them, listen to what this writer says. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it. But it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who would do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. What a wretched man that I am. This spiritual roller coaster. I know what to do, this writer says. I know what to do, but yet I don't do it. The things I know not to do, I do anyway. I'm having this issue in my own heart, my own life, about the turmoil within me. It's, it's plain to see, this writer says, just so happened to be the Apostle Paul, who says, the things that I don't want to do, I inevitably wind up doing them. You find yourself in that quandary during the day. Now be honest with the Lord. You don't have to raise your hand or come out and tell me, but I'm telling you the Holy Spirit knows. He's, he's searching your heart. He's trying your reins. To give every, the Bible tells us to give every one of us the fruit of our doings. Now, you come to that place. You start out good. But then again, you hadn't gotten out of bed. <laughs> and it all sounds so good when you're praying. And then that thought comes into your head. That irritation with that neighbor or that driver that cuts you off or, or that person who breaks in line at the grocery store or whatever the case might be. Or you're coming with thoughts, uh, you see something on TV or on the news and all of a sudden your first thought is, boy, I just wish the, the worst things I can think of on that particular person. And before long you're thinking, what, what is that in me that does that? I'm trying to have this mind in me, according to Philippians 2.5, which was also in Christ Jesus. I'm trying to, to have the same thought the same pattern which is what Jesus is trying to help his disciples to understand this is who I am Jesus said these beatitudes reflect me and it should reflect you because you're a disciple which means an avid learner and follower of the teacher Jesus so I get these things in my own life we're thinking where did that come from? You know, you have these thoughts or you have these passions or you have these, these fantasies or whatever the case might be that just come, seem like they come out of left field at you. 
And you're all of a sudden thinking, where did that come from? And you're wondering, Lord, I mean, did we not already resolve this some time ago? Evidently not. But Satan has that way, the adversary, of reminding you who you were. Not who you are, but who you were. And sometimes these temptations come in. He says, it is sin living in me that does it. What a wretched man that I am. It's like Luke 18, verse 13. Jesus talks about the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee. And the Pharisee said, oh, man, he stands up. He looks so good looks in church. And he is so proud of himself. I, he said, I tithe. I give everything to the Lord that, that he requires. And, and I'm such a good man. Such a good man. Then there's that tax collector. The most despised of all the professions in that day and age because they would extract money from their fellow person. And that tax collector said, I'm not even humble enough to stand up. He falls down before the Lord and says, oh, the scripture says, but the tax collector stood at a distance and would not even look up to heaven. And, but beat his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus said, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. Wow. You feel like that sometimes? I mean, sometimes we get really full of ourselves. We think we're all that in a bag of chips when it comes to this Christian walk, and we're not. We don't stop and think about all those things during the day that we have omitted. We see that person that needs help. It's easier to walk on the other side of the street. We see that, that, that situation that we could have maybe helped in some positive fashion, and yet we decide not to. David Brainerd, the missionary to the American Indians, wrote in his journal on October 18, 1740, in my morning devotions, my soul was exceedingly melted and bitterly mourned over my exceeding sinfulness and vileness. Thomas Carlyle said the greatest security against sin is to be shocked at its presence. That's why we mourn. That's why we mourn over sin. Blessed are those who mourn. And what Jesus is saying, blessed are those who mourn not only for the sin of the world, but when it comes right down to it, our own personal sin. We're like Isaiah, who when he was caught up in the sixth chapter of Isaiah into the presence of God, there in the, king, in the days of King Uzziah, I stood and I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And I said, woe unto me, for I am undone. It's over for me. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Woe is me. We, feel, we come to that place. You know, I have studied revival a lot. We talk a lot about revival. We talk a lot more about revival than we see it actually happen in our lives. We, it's kind of like the weather. Everybody talks about it, but nobody does a thing about the weather, you know? <laughs> 
We talk a lot about the revival. But you know there's revivals cropping up on a number of college campuses across America. Two weeks ago, over 200 students were baptized in a uh, lake on the campus of Auburn University. You know? Fantastic. And we, we all know how the, the revival uh, just swept through Asbury College and up in Kentucky. And, and as they were there, uh, so many people came to see what the Lord was up to. Do you know what every revival starts out with is prayer? And not just prayer for the congregation, but it comes down to a personal uh, situation where you draw a circle around yourself and begin to pray, Lord, let this revival begin within this circle. That's where it starts. And when, when prayer uh, precipitates that kind of, of expression to the Lord Jesus Christ, then revival occurs. It'll occur with you. It will begin to spread to others. And before long, people around this area, our community and beyond, will begin to ask, what's going on down at that church? What's happening that the Spirit of God is moving in and among them? Wow. There's a poem about... Comfort that I like. I walked a mile with pleasure. She chattered all the way, but left me none the wiser for all she had to say. I walked a mile with sorrow, and ne'er a word said she, but oh, the things I learned from her when sorrow walked with me. Joseph Parker said, Preach to the sorrowing, and you'll never lack for a congregation. The, uh, the Poet Shelley said, Sorrow is a mother with her family of sighs. Her family of sighs. You know, when I find myself really experiencing the comfort of God, it's when I sorrow over my own sin. When I sorrow over my own disobedience to the Lord to do the things that he's asked me not to do, to not do the things that he's asked me to do. That's where my sorrow becomes. And during the day, at the end of the day, it's a matter of knowing I have missed opportunities to honor and glorify the Lord because of my own sinful nature. Well, when we sorrow for the world, when we sorrow for the sins of the world, when we sorrow for our own sins, our own disobedience. Nobody in 21st century world likes to hear that word sin. But let me tell you, it's got a big I in the center of it. Sin does. And the reason why is because it is that ultimate essence of self-centeredness. Self-centeredness. Well, but when we mourn for our sin... God comforts us. God comforts us. An Arab proverb says, all sunshine makes a desert. You see, sorrow can show us the compassion of God because sorrow drives a person to know God. There can be no comfort if there is no grief. If there is no sorrow for our own sin, there can be no comfort given to us by God. If there is no sorrow, God will, will lead us to His comfort. And through that predicament. Oh, 
when I look at that, when, when I cry out to the Lord, I, I realize, he said, all we like sheep have gone astray and turned every man to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. All we like sheep. There's none righteous. No, not one, the scripture says. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Wow. But then I see where when I come to him in a confessional moment, the comfort of God says that as far as the east is from west, so shall I remove your sins. Thy sin shall I cast behind my back, he says. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so to the Apostle Paul's answer is, it is sin living in me that does it. What a wretched man that I am. And he asked the question, who can rescue me? from this inner turmoil that I'm experiencing. What's chapter 8, verse 1 say? Therefore there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Whoa. Talk about chains broken. Talk about the burden of, of the weight of sin, disobedience, taken off my shoulders and yours when you confess as well. Well, you see, there can be no comfort if there is no grief, no sorrow. Great sorrow leads to great joy. Without sorrow, there is no joy. Romans 8, 24 says we are saved by hope. There is a day coming when Jesus Christ will return and sin will be banished from the earth. One of the things that you see in the Great Awakening, both Great Awakenings, whether it be through Whitfield or through Edwards or whoever it might be through, through Wesley and, and all of those that swept England is that it was always preceded by deep, earnest, personal intimacy in prayer with the Lord God Almighty. He reveals to you. You come to that place where you start looking at the Scripture and you're no longer reading it. The Scripture becomes a mirror that begins to read you. It becomes a reflection of you. And you see yourself in those scriptures and begin to pray to the Lord. Father, just make me like you. I want to be the kind of, of person we should pray that loves what God loves and hates what God hates. I want to be the one who has compassion where God has compassion, empathy where he has empathy, and not where I do. Because my mind should be the mind of Christ. This is what Jesus is saying here. When he sat down, he began to teach them. This is what, this is who I am. This is who I want you to become. Jesus is telling his disciples then and his disciples now. So if you're just absolutely racked with the guilt of, of sin... You're having a difficult time with life in that sense. You're going to be blessed if you mourn over the sin and take it to the Lord. Because He will cleanse you from all unrighteousness as per the Scripture. Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? We've got two couples that I've just gotten a chance to know over the recently.
And first, I'm going to ask David Hermine. Am I right? Hermine? Yep. Yes. Hermine? Okay. Get that pronunciation right. Uh, Horton. They come. They come knowing Christ as their Lord and Savior and desire membership here. And, and I know you rejoice with them. And if so, with a loud and hearty amen. I'm really excited. Now, David's been involved in a lot of different things with us, and I'm sure he'll be at the men's breakfast. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yep. And so he helps cook in the kitchen and do other things there. And uh, you're going to love getting to know this couple. If you haven't already, you'll love getting to know them, okay? If you'll be seated for just a moment. And I'm going to ask Fred and Pauline uh, Burnett to come. I had a really good visit with Pauline this week. And she comes trusting Christ as her Lord and Savior. She'll be baptized next Sunday. Fred's been a believer since 61, he says. You know, he's, uh, but they come to today looking forward to uniting with his church and being a part of his family. And I know you rejoice with them. And if so, signify the loud and hearty amen. 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 It's been a good day. It's been a good day. And I know I'll take these two couples back with me and Mary Jo, and uh, you give them the handshake or hug of Christian fellowship as is appropriate for you. 